0: What is up, everybody? This is Adam. Welcome back to Fouled Out. Matt is going to be joining me shortly to tackle the big questions from the NFL draft. My dad likes to say that the big questions for the NFL draft are who is getting drafted and where, which is fair and will be addressed in a couple weeks when we do the Fouled Out Mega Mock podcast. We have six other podcasters joining us in a couple weeks to do a first-round mock. So, Dad, you will get your answers to those questions then. For now, we are looking at things like the quarterback class. What do you do with these guys? There's no elite prospects. Is wide receiver the most important position outside of quarterback to hit in the first round? And many more questions. So Matt's going to be here in just a sec to help me tackle those. Also, don't let the fact that the Yankees won the series against the Red Sox this weekend distract you from the fact that the Yankees suck. Because the Yankees still suck. Let's go. All right, Matt is here for NFL Draft Podcast number two of four prior to the draft. Again, just one of our favorite times of the year. Uh, I'm going to save you from the audio description of what Matt's doing in my camera right now, but uh, it's, it's inappropriate. Trust me, I'm saving you. So, Matt, how are you? Oh, I'm ready. Apparently. <laughs> uh, so, we are going over what are the big questions of the draft This year, I feel like every draft, the pool of prospects is very different. It's very unique. And this draft is unique in that some of the key positions that we normally see in the first round don't have what scouts refer to as like the high quality elite level players. So it's going to be like a weird draft and you may not see as many trades as you're used to, uh, aside from the weird one that the Saints did the other day. But we're going to try to tackle what the big themes of this draft are going to be, especially in the first round. So, Matt, are you ready for big questions? Let's get it on. All right. Big question number one probably the biggest from this draft because it is the most important position in football that gets talked about ad nauseum. What do we do with the quarterbacks? Like I mentioned, the NFL draft typically there's like one or two quarterbacks that are competing for the number one pick. Uh, quarterback has been the number one pick in five of the last six drafts. We're coming off a year where five quarterbacks were taken in the top 15. What was one of the most hyped quarterback drafts uh, in a very long time? Last season, a quarterback class that was so hyped that we did a full, almost two hour episode on it last year. But this year, the crop of quarterbacks is like at least the lowest ranked since the 2013, 2014 classes, which were both Absolutely brutal. In 2013, EJ Manuel was the first quarterback picked at 16. The other quarterbacks in that draft included Geno Smith and Mike Glennon. And then in 2014, Blake Bortles was picked third overall as the first quarterback in that draft. Uh, a draft that also included Johnny Football. And the best quarterback to come out of 14 was Jimmy Garoppolo, who is, what do you think, top, 20, it's like pretty, I don't know, mediocre at best. He's a pretty okay guy. So it's not the strongest class. PFF does not have a quarterback on their big board until 22, which they have Sam Howell at 22, uh, Willis at 25, Ritter at 43, and then the other guys a little bit later. So in your opinion, Matt, what do quarterback needy teams do in this draft?
1: So I have... A different perspective on evaluating a quarterback than the traditional concept out there. There's a lot of, okay, like, what is this player good at now? And, like, what can't they do? Because there's that fear of, okay, well, if they can't do that now, they might never get good at it. Let's look at all of the quarterbacks over the last. What's it been like five or so years now since Mahomes came out? All of the ones that really popped, the best of this young crop of quarterbacks, almost all of them had serious concerns about their viability because of the things that they could not do at the time they were drafted. Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. Deshaun Watson had a lot of concerns. Uh, There was talks about him slipping almost to the second round.
0: I still have a lot of concerns about Deshaun Watson.
1: Yes, but not about his ability (laughs) to play on the football field.
0: Just very different concerns
1: now. Yeah. Uh, Josh Allen, like major questions about him. And there were major questions about him his first two years in the league. It's not about what they aren't doing well right now. It's about what can they physically do? What can they mentally do? Even if they aren't doing it all the time, do they show the capacity to physically and mentally do the things that they will need to do? Do they want to be coached and do they want to make themselves a better player? That is the stuff that we cannot figure out. Because we don't get to talk to those people. And then the last thing is, does the team that drafts them put them in a good position to succeed? Those are the four most important things. It's not, is that player consistently accurate all the time right now at 21 years old?
0: Because we know Josh Allen wasn't. That's an interesting take. So using that criteria, do you see this more as a draft where like you have guys who are in the Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson mold, where there's a lot of raw talent, but they need some work. Or do you see this more of like a 2013 where there is not really a great quarterback prospect, but somebody's going to talk themselves into EJ manual.
1: So I, I think we're a lot closer to the former than the latter. I don't see this as a 2013. Not saying that we've got Josh Allen's incoming, but we all know about the physical tools that Malik Willis has. Uh, I'm not going to go on and on about that, but to say it, to put it swiftly, he's got every tool that you could ask for physically. And he has shown that he can at times do the mental tests that need to be done. Yes, he can and does read defenses. There's another guy that I slept on for quite a while in this draft who I think has a ton of potential, and that's Carson Strong. His arm talent is insane, and the prognosis long-term on his knee is pretty good, but like the guy was out there making throws that not a whole lot of guys in the NFL can make on one leg. (laughs) Is he going to be a super mobile guy? Probably not, but like, he's going to look better mobile mobility wise than he did this past year as he gets healthy. There is two guys in this draft at the very least who have massive upside. And I would say Sam Howell and Matt Corral both have the potential To make themselves into guys who fit into that 10 to 20 ranking in the NFL. Two things on Carson
0: Strong real quick. One, uh, if you know that franchise guy on YouTube, makes really good YouTube videos about the NFL draft. He actually has Carson Strong as his number one quarterback in the draft. Two, while doing all the tape evaluations for the quarterbacks for this podcast, I was just so thankful that Carson Strong did not play in the bowl game against Western Michigan. And that Nevada <laughs> let us have that one cuz I was like if this guy played, that game would probably would have been like a 45-41 type of game cuz he is that good.
1: Yeah, I mean, he his arm talent is incredible.
0: Yeah, he, I think you kind of hit the keyword for this draft and that is upside. Yeah. So, when I evaluate prospects, especially quarterbacks, I look at two things and that is their variance band of where is their floor and where is their ceiling, how bad can they be? And how good can they be? And then the likelihood of where they're going to fall on that variance band. So someone like Malik Willis is a good example where his variance band is huge. Like he could be an absolute bust or he could end up being a stud because of the arm talent and the athleticism what is the likelihood that he's going to hit on the higher end of that variance band? That's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's up for debate. And that's kind of the question that you have to ask yourself is how likely do we think that these guys are actually going to hit near the higher side? If you as a franchise believe that Malik Willis is more likely to hit on the higher side than the lower side of that band, then I have no problem with like a Carolina taking him at six. If you think that he you know, the chance that he's going to hit that high end is 50, 50, or maybe 30, 70, like you think it's a lower chance, then I wouldn't take him that high. I would wait. And maybe like a saints at 19 or like a Pittsburgh at 20 takes a chance on that. It's, it's all about risk management when the opportunity cost of taking these guys high is extremely high. In this draft, with all of the great prospects that we have at the top of this draft playing other positions, if you take a Malik Willis at six, you, I guarantee you're going to be passing up on studs. So you better be
1: right. If you have a a team that is kind of a quarterback away and you're not drafting number one (laughs) and you take a quarterback, if you're wrong, it doesn't matter if it's a Malik Willis. If you take a quarterback and you're wrong and The owner thinks, well, we just needed a quarterback Then you're probably gone.
0: I would not take a quarterback just to take a quarterback. Like this is not the draft where like last year's draft, there were five guys who were legitimately top 15 prospects in that draft. Like I think all five of those guys had at least upside or other traits that made them top 15 guys. This draft, don't do it just to do it. Like you really have to believe in one of these guys. And like you said, like a Malik Willis, you may have to have a plan to alter your entire offense to fit his skill set, similar to what the Ravens did with Lamar Jackson. You know, you may have to put him in that type of position for him to hit the higher end of that variance.
1: I would even take away the, this draft. You do not ever draft a quarterback that you intend to be your franchise's future if you are not sold on that quarterback. Because otherwise, there's going to be just non-tangible things swirling around that are very likely to make that individual fail. And, like, I'm higher on Malik Willis's floor than most are, I would say. I still will admit that it is not super high. But I think with his ability as a runner, uh, I think it gets overlooked just how, like, Thick his lower half is. You know what I'm about so to say. Got the, those big <laughs> meaty thighs that you just love in a running back. Got those big meaty thighs. The quarterback run game with him is really interesting. And I think you cover you couple that with his notable work ethic. Uh, I think that he's going to develop more consistency. Weird thing about Hugh Freeze running that offense out there. Like, I don't really fully understand what they were doing with that passing attack. There were times where, like, Hugh Freeze would just call five hitches. What is that? That play so, is in the – it's in the playbook for Madden, where all five, five
0: guys run a hitch, and it's, like, the worst play ever. Never worked.
1: Yeah, Um So I don't really feel like he was necessarily put in position to really learn, to develop as a passer. Yeah. He is
0: Malik Willis is reminiscent of Trey Lance in a way. I'm not saying he is Trey Lance because I am obviously like, I'm the biggest Trey Lance person. I think in all of media, like we're, we're media personalities now with the podcast. So. I am like the number one Trey Lance stock. Give me all your Trey Lance stock. But what I mean is that like, uh, we talked about this with Trey Lance last year is that his big weakness was that he was extremely raw and that he needed some time to develop. And Malik Willis is that same type of guy where it may take two years, three years for him to develop. So I would rather see him go to like uh, Pittsburgh or a new Orleans, like somewhere that has a little bit more time to develop him and a little bit more talent around him. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to see him go somewhere where it's a little like the infrastructure is a little bit better. I would be nervous about Carolina because I feel like Carolina would want him to take over at some point this season, especially if they picked him at six. He's not my number one rated quarterback in the draft. My number one rating is a little bit of a hot take, but I, even though he's not my number one rated quarterback, he may be the quarterback that I would take first if that makes sense, just because the high side of that variance is so high. It's so much higher than anybody else in this draft. I think he has the highest ceiling. And in a draft where I don't love any of the other prospects, I would shoot for that upside.
1: One of those, qu- those quotes that really sticks with me is like, why would you take Jared Goff when you already have Jared Goff? If you're the Lions, and I do not think the Lions are going quarterback, but... If you're the Lions, you're not taking Malik Willis because you are hoping that he can at least be as good as Jared Goff. You're taking him because you think he can be a variant of Lamar Jackson. No one who's taking a quarterback should be hoping that they're getting a mid-level guy.
0: Yeah, I I think if you think that he's going to be a mid-level guy, I wouldn't take him in the first round of this draft. That goes for all the quarterbacks. Before we go on to the next question, who, I mean, just real brief, like who are your favorite quarterbacks in this draft? Like give me your top three.
1: Not in any order. My favorite three are Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, and Carson Strong.
0: That's funny because we have completely different top threes except for Malik Willis. Uh, (laughs) My favorite quarterback in this draft is Desmond Ritter. I have uh, Ritter, Willis, and Corral are my favorites. So I think that's a good illustration of how divisive this quarterback class is, though, is that, like, uh, all these guys have upside, and they all have downside, and they all have, like, distinct weaknesses to their game.
1: It just, like, makes the evaluations different for everybody. A guy that, like, I want to like is Sam Howell, but you know why why I don't like him?
0: Because he's Mitch Trubisky. Slash Baker Baker, Mayfield.
1: I wasn't going to put that on him, but he's been the same player every year. He's just the same player. And that, like, if you're the same player, what, four years in a row? Like that, that worries me. What does that say about you?
0: (laughs) I tell you my number one thing I don't like about Sam Howell is that one, I feel like he's a combination of Ms. Trubisky and Baker Mayfield. And not like good, high-end Baker Mayfield. I mean like the <laughs> Baker Mayfield we just watched. Two, when he had a ton of talent around him at North Carolina with Javante Williams and Michael Carter and some of the really good receivers they had, he looked great and the team was good and they, had, they were very successful. And then a lot of the talent leaves, and this is, that's not his fault that the talent left. But when the talent left, his play dropped off to a huge degree. And so, like, this is why he reminds me of Baker Mayfield is like when you have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry, it's easier to look good. But when some of those guys are out and you have Dearness Johnson and you have like uh, you know, not that Donovan Peoples Jones is a bad player, but like when you don't have like your top flight guys, all of a sudden you look very mediocre. Like it's easy to be good with good talent around you. It's harder to be good with the B and C players of the world. And that's my big criticism of Sam Howell is like, yeah, you're great when the talent around you is great, but when everything's not going your way, I don't see it.
1: Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. I want to offer some fairness for Baker. Like, yeah, he played not great before he got hurt very early in the year. But Baker Mayfield was playing through a level of shit that he should have been shit, shut down by, like, midseason at the latest. And for whatever reason, the Browns did not, even though they had the highest paid backup in the NFL.
0: Yeah, counter-counterpoint. I kind of think that you could have Baker Mayfield almost for free right now, like, for a late-round pick. Yeah. And, like, teams like Seattle are like, we're kind of good rolling with Geno Smith. That's fine. <laughs> like, we're okay well, with they that. Have, they have all of the picks. <laughs> it's just like nobody wants him. Kind of. is kind of what it feels like to me. Is that like Indianapolis Whoa, looked at he, it and they're like, we could have Baker Mayfield or we could have Matt Ryan. We'd rather have Matt Ryan. And then like the story comes out that there is mutual disinterest between Baker Mayfield and the yeah, Carolina Panthers. That is.
1: Yeah. I think I texted you that. I, that is One of my favorite.
0: You did. Mutual (laughs) Um, disinterest is like my favorite phrase I've
1: ever heard in sports. I see the Colts because like they just tried a reclamation project and that went poorly. And they're like, yeah, you know what? We want the wily old veteran. And then, I mean, if honestly, if you're Carolina or Seattle, like those are the top two picks that are going to be looking at a quarterback You know no one's going for Baker anytime soon. See what you get first.
0: Yeah, I mean, to be fair, too, I I think what the actual situation with Baker is right now is that teams have the Browns over a barrel with trade negotiations because they just uh, gave the most guaranteed money ever to a rapist.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And they're not going to pay to take Baker. They want to get paid to take Baker because, like, why would you pay when you have leverage in the negotiation? Well,
1: and and if you take Baker, you have to pay Baker. No one wants to pay him $40 million. Yes. You shouldn't pay him $40 million. You also probably don't want to trade for an $18 million rental.
0: Yeah, but if I'm like Seattle and I can you know, maybe take like a Malik Willis or something like that, somebody who needs some time to develop. And then maybe you also trade like a fifth or something like that for Baker Mayfield. And you just think like, okay, this guy was the first overall pick not that long ago. If he does return to form this season, I get first dibs on signing him long-term. And then I still have this other project kind of in the, in the back that I can maybe trade later. I mean, maybe it's not the right way to look at it, but, I think quarterback is so important. I would take as many bites of the apple as I can get.
1: I think in a league without a lottery for the draft, teams like Seattle are looking at this like, you know, I can take a quarterback this year and I can, if it's someone like Malik Willis that just isn't ready, Geno Smith can be our tank commander and we can stack up high picks and rebuild fast.
0: That's fair too, especially because they already have like a DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. So let me ask you big question number two. Since there are no premier quarterback prospects in this draft who are going to be the first overall pick, Aiden Hutchinson, the defensive end out of Michigan has been tabbed as the very likely kind of consensus number one overall prospect. Are we sure that Aiden Hutchinson is going to be the first overall pick?
1: No, you're never sure what the Jaguars are going to do. In fact, the way they've been going lately, they might even spend another resource on a receiver.
0: That's kind of where I'm at too. Aiden Hutchinson, like, so I like Aiden. Don't get me wrong. But I feel like he is like a really solid pick where I know he's going to be good. I don't know that he's going to be great. Like he has the upside to be great. And I know he's going to be really solid, but he doesn't have like the elite elite upside of like, this guy could be the best edge rusher in the league at some point. And I, like a lot of his strengths are like character things like culture setting, uh hard worker, like gym rat, that type of guy. So I feel like if the lions had the first overall pick, that it would be no question Aiden Hutchinson is going to the Lions. This is a wrap. Since the Jaguars have the number one overall pick, I look at it and kind of think that the Jags are like a franchise that wants to have something that has a little bit more sizzle to give to their fans. And I do wonder if the Jags may take someone like Thibodeau, who is like a little bit more exciting. He's like the athletic freak. He's not like the grinder hard worker type of guy that Aiden Hutchinson is. So that they can sell something to their fans and be like, look at this guy. He's like an athletic marvel. He's amazing. He's all like more sizzle than meat, where Aiden Hutchinson is just like the meat. Like, I just know this guy's going to be good.
1: What you're thinking with Hutchinson is more because his floor is higher. It doesn't seem like his ceiling is as high. And I just, I don't agree with that he tested extremely well at the combine and his burst definitely shows up on tape. I think there's definitely areas that he could still get better in, in terms of like using his hands and chaining moves together and stuff like that. But yeah, no, like I would agree with you that like he should be looked at as like the surefire first pick or like if you're going to go defensive or if you're going to go edge like he's your pick i can understand the approach of saying hey uh we need to protect this guy that we drafted number one overall last year so that we're not drafting number one overall next year i can understand doing that because they certainly have not protected him to this point. I think you could
0: always just use like more good offensive linemen too. Like, I, I just feel like that's a position where I can never have enough good offensive linemen, especially like young talented ones, like a maybe an mm-hmm. Evan Neal or uh Icky Aquanu that we talked about last week. Yeah. I'm just not sold on the fact that Aiden Hutchinson is going to be the number one overall pick. We say this with the chargers all the time, but I'm going yeah. to tell you that Jag's going to Jag. Yeah. And they like to have like the Jalen Ramsey's and the
1: mm-hmm.
0: flashy guys that they can show their fan base and be like, you should come to our games and watch this guy. He's crazy. I don't know how many jerseys Aiden Hutchinson is selling right after the draft. And, I, and I'm not saying I wouldn't rather have him because if I had the first pick, I would take him hands down. I just take him, be done. I know he's going to be good and he's got upside done. You know, in Detroit, he may sell a bunch of jerseys, but like in Jacksonville, Florida, how many jerseys is Aiden Hutchinson selling right away? They desperately need something to drum up fan excitement after what a disaster last year was with Urban Meyer. Yeah.
1: It's, it's called a win. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, so if I was the Jags, I would be looking at this and just being like, okay, our culture is shit and we need to fix the culture first and foremost. So I want the culture guy like Aiden Hutchinson But I just think Jag's ownership is crazy, and I think that they want something to sell their fans to get them engaged at the beginning of the season. So I could see them going with like a Thibodeau or like a Walker or uh, even like a Kyle Hamilton to some degree. It's not what I would do, but I could see them being like, we need like a big pop to get the fans back involved. We need to sell jerseys. We need to get butts in the seats after a really disappointing season.
1: Yeah, and that's how you fuck shit up long-term. It is, but that's why the Jags suck. Well, that's how yeah. they continue to suck. I mean, their owner literally just looks like a Disney villain.
0: I feel like they're literally, like, they are the literal definition of all sizzle and no steak Yeah, in that franchise, and I feel bad for Trevor Lawrence because of it. On to big question number three is hitting on a first round wide receiver becoming one of the biggest efficiencies in the NFL? So I was thinking about this and then I like, I've been thinking about this all off season and then I think sports illustrated or someone like that beat me to the punch and wrote this article already, but I look at the capital that's been spent on wide receivers this off season. For example, like Las Vegas traded a first, and a second for 29-year-old Devontae Adams and gave him a deal that's worth $28 million per year. The Dolphins traded a first, a second, two fourths, and a six for Tyreek Hill, and then signed him to a four-year deal worth $120 million. And then the Bills, who didn't have to trade for their receiver this year, but did trade a first to get Stephon Diggs a couple years ago, gave him a four-year $104 million extension. And I look at teams like Minnesota or Cincinnati who have Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase on a rookie contract right now and think I would much rather have Justin Jefferson on a rookie deal than Tyreek Hill or Devontae Adams on a 25 plus million dollar per year deal. But in order to do that, you have to hit on your first round receiver. Mm -hmm. And this class is very good and very deep full of receivers, and next year's class may be even better. So what do you think about the wide receiver being the second most important position to hit on in the first round?
1: While we are realizing it is more important of a position than we did, think of it maybe like 15 years ago, I think we are also – Due to the nature of the position, it being flashy, it being stats related, like when they do well, it shows up in the box score. Like, very few instances where that does not occur. I still don't think it is more important than pass rusher or I will say the offensive line unit as they call. You can have a very dangerous offensive attack with just a bevy of good receivers and just a well-coached offensive unit. We saw how problematic it is for, say, you do hit on your receiver like the Bengals did, got sacked nine times once in the playoffs this year. And then in the Super Bowl, we saw that offensive line was a problem again. It's like a testament to Chase that they managed to get there, but it's also extremely lucky that they did because they were just getting pounded on the offensive line. From the other point viewpoint, those pass rushers, Were inevitably what overcame the threat of having someone like Jamar Chase on the other side. I would say there it is within like the foursome of like the most valuable positions, but I would still put it in the four spot.
0: I'm actually going to go the other way on this question and say that. In a way, yes, it is extremely important to hit on your first-round receivers if you're taking one. Just, like, it's extremely important to hit on any position. Yeah. I actually think that we're going to look back at this offseason in a couple of years and just be like, what the fuck were these teams doing acquiring these guys? Because I talked about this on the podcast before, that wide receiver is now becoming one of the easiest positions to trans, like kind of translate from college into the pros.
1: Yeah.
0: And we're just seeing more and more great receivers come into the league and have huge impacts early. If I'm confident I can get a good receiver in any draft in the first round, why am I paying Stefan Diggs $100 million? Why am I trading multiple picks for Tyreek Hill?
1: When you can get Amon Ross St. Brown in the fourth round.
0: In the fourth. Yeah, let me read you a list that I have of players who are currently on their rookie contracts. These are receivers currently on their rookie contracts. Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith, Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb, Justin Jefferson, Hollywood Brown, Debo Samuel, D.K. Metcalf, A.J. Brown, Deontay Johnson, Amon Ross St. Brown. Why, when I can get one of these guys in the draft, why am I paying so much for a wide receiver? Like, I know you want someone proven and that it can be a disaster if you take like a Nikhil Harry, uh, which I can say from firsthand experience was an absolute disaster. But if I'm confident that I can hit on receivers in the first round and I have like, you know, this class, there's four or five guys who have first round grades. The next class may even be better with Addison from Pitt and Smith and Jigba from Ohio State. If I think I can hit on those guys late in the first round or like someone like Amon Ross St. Brown, who was what, like a fourth or fifth round pick last year?
1: It was fourth round.
0: Why am I going out and spending all this money on receiver? Like I actually think we're getting to the point where it's an extremely replaceable position and I would not give up any capital for it. Uh, Like for the Patriots sitting at 21, I'm going to have a shot at like a Chris Olave or a Traylon Burks who could be very good receivers. And if I think that they're great, I'm just going to take them and I'm going to pay them a rookie deal for the next four years. And I'm not going to trade 50 picks to get Debo Samuel.
1: He will probably go very early, but like Drake London coming out this year his most likely comp is Mike Evans, a guy who's, you know, had a thousand yards every year and was like almost a surefire Hall of Famer at this point.
0: I give you a hot take. Hot take number two for me at the podcast. I do not have Drake London in my top seven receivers.
1: You're going to eat a lot of crow, dude.
0: I, and if I do, then I do. But, his scouting report talking about having issues separating at the next level. Like I understand that he's a great contested ball receiver, but if you're like a great contested catch receiver, that means you're not getting separation in college. And I've lived this with Nikhil Harry. Like, Oh yeah. Great. 50, 50 ball guy boxes out guys. He can blah, blah, blah. If you can't get separation in the NFL, I don't care how tall you are and how you use those skills. Like, I've heard people compare him to Mike Evans, but can I give you another 6'5 receiver who came out of USC? What about Mike Williams, who also dominated at USC and was great?
1: How did that work out? um, I don't care that he's 6'5. Nope, nope. You are leaving out very key details about Mike Williams, who absolutely should not have been picked at, I believe, number nine overall. The dude didn't play football for a year and they draft the Lions decided to draft him while he was out of shape. Very very different situation. Also, my argument is that you are talking about horizontal separation and that is not the only way to separate. It's not
0: but his route running is not like that elite either in my opinion. So,
1: no, but when you're talking about bigger guys, like unless you are DK Metcalf and run a four three, like those guys just don't separate in the same way. If you know how to use your body, it doesn't matter. Counterpoint.
0: Besides Mike Evans, give me one receiver taller than six four who's been successful in the NFL. Uh, is Kenny of Galladay six, <laughs> four. So am I drafting Kenny Galladay with a top 10 pick? Would you draft Kenny Galladay I mean, with a top 10 pick right now?
1: Depends on who my quarterback is. This is fair. Uh, DK
0: Metcalf is six, four, but the vast majority of very good receivers in the league yeah. are six, three or under Michael Thomas is six, three, and he's a little bit big. You look at uh, Devontae Adams. 6'1, Stephon Diggs, 6 feet. DeAndre Hopkins, 6'1, Tyreek Hill, 5'10. Allen Robinson, 6'2. AJ Brown, 6'0. Justin Jefferson, 6'1. Michael Thomas, 6'3. Julio Jones, 6'3. Calvin Ridley, 6'1. Do I need to keep going? It's his height and size is, I think, not as much of an advantage as people think it is. And you look at some of like the really elite guys, besides Mike Evans and uh, DK Metcalf to some degree, the elite guys are. More compact
1: than a Drake London,
0: so um no the-
1: but Drake London moves much better than ninety nine percent of the six, four, six, fives like five guys that come out. He moves very well for his size and weight, his height weight speed combination is incredible. Uh, for his ability to change directions at that size while full, compared to smaller guys does not look that great, but compared to his contemporaries, it is significant. Um, we, we'll see
0: because I've been told this before that I'm going to eat crow on this pick, but I don't have him in my top
1: seven. I mean, is, he your, is he your number one receiver in this class? I don't know if he's number one. Honestly, like for me, this this top class, like the top of this wide receiver class, it's pretty pretty close together. I'm blanking on what his name is. Uh, the guy from Bama that got hurt,
0: Jameson Williams.
1: Yeah, Jameson Williams. I would probably lean towards him being my number one. Yeah, I mean they're they're all. Kind
0: of close for me. Yeah. hot take number three. My number one receiver is Chris Olave right now. He's the best route runner of this group. And like, if you know me and you listen to this podcast, you know, route running is like my thing with guys like Justin Jefferson and Cooper cup. Like that's what makes them so elite. So like, not only is he the best route runner in the class, he's the most polished route runner. He also posted the best 40 time out of all these guys. Uh, To be fair, Jamison Williams would have beat him at the combine if he hadn't torn his ACL. Uh, I have Jamison Williams number two because of the elite game-breaking speed. I've seen him compared to Deshaun Jackson, but I think he has a little bit more functionality than that uh, at his ceiling. Uh, The other guys I have ahead of Drake London, uh, Garrett Wilson, Traylon Burks, Sky Moore, Jahan Dotson, and probably another hot take is uh, Shakir, the kid from Boise State. I have him as my number seven receiver right now. Uh, I like him a lot too.
1: Can I give you um, a testing hot take?
0: Throw it out there, baby.
1: At this point, we can say with pretty much all certainty that the 40-yard dash is useless. I mean, I guess it can give you like a vague idea of how fast a player is, but we have... GPS speeds now, you can tell how fast a player is on the field if you are in an NFL office, so you don't need a 40 time. It's completely useless. Also, it doesn't really tell you how fast a player is because if a player has any sort of track background, they can shave like 0.1 to 0.2 seconds off their time versus someone that doesn't really have that background which really just tells you that like they were trained how to start on their first couple of steps which if your NFL coaching staff can't you know clean that up a bit then you probably have bigger problems than your scouting department
0: yeah and that's fair and I actually don't disagree with you on the 40 time the situation where I like 40 times is when it backs up what I'm watching on tape. And that is that Chris Olave is consistently getting separation from guys. He had 13 touchdowns on 65 catches this year at Ohio state. I mean, he's been a consistently good deep threat for them. And part of that is the route running, but he's also been able to get separation out of
1: those breaks. Um, well, the GPS like would do the same thing. So,
0: Yeah, I'd rather see that. But if you can pull those up for me <laughs> so I can look at them. Um, I'm
1: pretty sure they're not handing those out left and right.
0: Yeah, no, that's something that's kept under wraps. Um, the GPS speed yep. is like something that I really like for a guy like Traylon Burks, who yep. ran in like the four, five, six area, but when you watch his tape, he's running away from the Alabama defense and nobody yep. can catch him. So, like, yeah, you're absolutely right. The 40 times do not tell the whole story. Uh guys like Debo Samuel and AJ Brown did not run great 40s, and obviously they're elite receivers. So you don't need that especially not in my book, but I like the route running. I like the production from Olave I could say something similar about Garrett Wilson, uh, and the Jamison Williams, just the absolute game breaking speed of that guy I think is yeah, just an elite quality. I don't love Drake London though. So we'll, I mean, we'll see at the next level. I could be wrong. I've been wrong before, not often, but, uh, no, I'm just kidding, but, uh, we'll see. I mean we'll see the next couple of years. He's coming off an ankle injury, so I'll give him a couple of years because yeah. that's that's well, tough. Well.
1: And like the reality of the situation is that it's going to determine it's going to depend on where these guys go to. Yes. Yeah. Like Drake London just like Olave is going to have to go somewhere that's going to use him to his strengths just like Olave Wilson all of them.
0: Yeah. I, I agree with that. I, and I'm not saying that Drake London is Nikhil Harry, but I just like guys like Nikhil Harry. I just don't think it would have mattered where he went, just wasn't going to be successful because he couldn't get separation. And that's where my hesitancy comes on Drake. London is like, oh man, if you can't get separation in college, I worry. I worry about the next level. The final big question. Where does Kyle Hamilton go? The safety out of Notre Dame. Some outlets have Kyle Hamilton as a top three prospect. The talk coming out, like when the first, when the draft process first started, the talk about Kyle Hamilton was that there were those who believed he was a generational prospect at safety. In my opinion, and I think your opinion too, that notion has pretty much been dispelled. But there are still outlets that have him as a top three guy. And like the, I guess to explain to the audience too, the reason that this is a big deal is that If a safety was drafted in the top three, even on a rookie contract, they would be either the highest or just about the highest paid safety in the league Yeah, automatically. So it's a positional value question of where do you take a safety? Even if he's one of the best three prospects in the draft, do you draft
1: him that high? Let's hypothetically say he is a generational talent. In the modern game, I think you and I would probably agree that, like, a generational talent at the safety position, Derwin James is probably the best example. Big, fast, can, you know, fill in the run, play some man, play deep, undercut, like, middle zones, stuff like that. And that's very valuable, but, like... The problem is that you're automatically paying him all pro money. And then you transfer on to paying him even more expensive all pro money after that. I like Kyle Hamilton. I think he's a very talented safety. I do not see Derwin James. When I watch him, he's just not in that class. And that's not meant to be a slight, but... He doesn't, like, he jumps off the screen because he's a very, very good player, but he doesn't jump off the screen in a, oh, my God, like, this guy's going to change football type of way.
0: Yeah, kind of where I'm at on him. And I think we agree on, like, his actual evaluation is probably, like, a top 15 guy. Like, if you take him, you know, 9, 10, 11, I'd be good with that. Yeah, But where I'm at, just like in a pseudo rankings type of thing is if I had the first overall pick and I needed everything, my number one thing I would want is a franchise quarterback, generational player second, and then franchise left tackle. Because if you're telling me I could have Ed Reed and I, like if there's no franchise quarterback available and I can have Ed Reed, I'm taking Ed Reed or Troy Palamalu or Brian Dawkins or Ronnie Lott type of guy. I just don't think that Kyle Hamilton's that guy.
1: If you're telling me for certain he is Derwin James, but can stay healthy. Sorry, Derwin, but that's not one of your talents. Yeah, I would probably take him in the top five. But A, you never have that certainty. B, the health part is out of your control. C, like... Yeah, he could end up being Derwin James, but does that end up making the kind of difference that you need at that pay grade to, you know, be the rising tide that lifts all boats? Like, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a reason that only certain positions have. Primarily been drafted in the top ten.
0: I agree with that, but also like I just I don't think Der- when I think generational safety, I don't think Derwin James quite yet because he can't stay healthy.
1: Oh but yeah, I think well, generational. I think about the skill set. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, for sure. But when I think generational, I think like Ed Reed because Ed Reed as a safety yeah. was the rising tide that raised right. all the boats, and that's what made well, him generational. Is that like? He, he had a little bit of help. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no, no. For sure. But like Troy, Troy Palomalu is another great example. So yeah, is Brian Dawkins. To me, a generational talent at the safety position is a safety that the tide that raises all yeah. the boats because it's hard to do from that position. And like a guy like Ed yeah. Reed, it was like, well, we can throw anywhere except for the back half of the field because Ed Reed's taking that away. Yeah. And, or like a Palomalu. It's like Palomalu is just like an incredible player all over the field.
1: Yeah, and I I understand why you're not, like, putting Derwin in that class because, rightfully, he hasn't been healthy enough to be that. But the, the thing about his skill set that puts that particular skill set in that area, for me at least, is that it... Freeze up your team to not worry so much about who's on the field. If someone has to go out and you got to put someone else in, Derwin James can do whatever job you need to do to make up for that deficiency.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't disagree with you. I just I got to see him healthy and I got to see him do it over the course of a 16 17 game season. So yeah, uh, yeah.
1: My
0: my answer is if you think Kyle Hamilton is that dude, I don't mind you taking him in the top three and paying him all pro money. I just don't think he's that dude.
1: Yeah, Can't I mean, Matt. I think you can start thinking about him outside the top 10, but even then, like, I don't know, I I would be much happier with, you know, Dax Hill or Brisker down in, like, the late 20s, which is where yeah. they're likely to go.
0: I'd rather have Brisker at 30 than Hamilton at 10. Yeah. It's a fair assessment. Uh, Before we sign off, the other question I wanted to ask you, do you have any late, late round prospects like day three guys that you think could have an impact at the next level or end up being like a late round steal?
1: Uh, I've got a couple. First one is uh, Isaiah Weston, the receiver from uh, University of uh, Northern Iowa. And He's another one of those like just height, weight, speed guys. Actually, most of his production came as a freshman and then like his second year was the COVID year and I think he only played like one game and then his third year, I think he missed most of the season but still scored like five touchdowns. He tested really well. He's like 6'4", 210 and at like 210, he looks pretty thin, but the man, like, whipped out 20 reps on the bench at 225 pounds. So I'm not expecting him to go before, like, the fifth round. But he's an interesting one for me. Uh, I think he's got high potential. But, I mean, you're that way in the draft, you're just throwing darts. My other one is very interesting to me. Uh Armani Rogers, the former the former quarterback who is transferring over to tight end. Pretty athletic guy. Uh, I think he's 6'5" and uh he has never played tight end in a game before. Not once. But he showed up at the Shrine game and Again, never having run routes in a game in his life was making linebackers look bad. I can't imagine him getting drafted before the seventh round, having never played the position before. But he absolutely has all the athleticism in the world to do that position. He's big. And we're transferring into an age of loving receiving tight ends, and you always need more than one. So I I'm not expecting him to uh you know blow up this year, but I would not be surprised seeing this guy have a, a nice long career as just an option. That is an interesting pick.
0: My yeah. My pick is so far off the beaten path that it's just so crazy. It might
1: just work We're off the beaten path than a player who's never played the position before.
0: Yeah. Cause my guy is projected as an undrafted free agent and he wasn't even invited to the NFL combine. And my guy is, uh, Jareth Stearns, the wide receiver from Western Kentucky. I'll tell you why he led the NCAA in catches with 150 And yards with 1,900 this year playing in what was the ultimate air raid offense, where they basically were like, I don't even know what running the ball is. That doesn't matter to me. Uh, If you go back to our NCAA bowl shows, we talked about how Bailey Zappi, the quarterback set the NCAA record for passing yards and passing touchdowns in one less game than Joe Burrow. So it gives you an idea of like how much they threw this year. And I think a lot of people look at this guy, you know, he's five, nine, 180 pounds. So he's not a big guy. And they look at him and think that his production is really just a product of the system. It's true in a way, because to have that much production, you have to have opportunity. But when you look at his tape, like he is not just running like screens and bubbles and like short things. He's running all the routes in the route tree and they're crisp like they're good looking routes. This guy was getting open granted against lesser competition. And in, a, in an offense where they throw the ball 70 times a game, but he plays well and he runs all the routes. Uh, and also at Western Kentucky's pro day, he had a 40 inch vertical, which would have been number two amongst wide receivers. If he had been invited to the combine, it's, it's an unofficial measurement, but like yeah, good measurables, even for a five, nine guy, And like, just like extreme production, like you don't catch 150 balls without having good hands and running good routes. So he is someone I could see like slipping into the seventh round, but if he doesn't get drafted, he would be like my first call after the draft to pick him up. Um, I see him being like a Jacoby Myers for the Patriots where like, he's not even the best receiver on his team, but he's like a starting caliber player. And everybody kind of looks at it and goes like how did this guy go in the sixth or seventh or undrafted? Yeah. Like, it doesn't make sense. And you look at like, you know, sixth and seventh guys are usually backups or depth guys or bust. And then you're going to have somebody out there being productive. And it's like, wow, why didn't we see this sooner? So just that level of productivity is like, he's got something, right? He has to have something. 150 catches, 1,900 yards. But that is it for us. As always, foul Out can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Overcast. Anywhere you get your podcast, you can hit us up on Twitter at Fouled out sports and you can find Matt on Twitter at Matador underscore Defense, and you can find our videos on TikTok at Fouled out podcast. Matt and I will be back for NFL Draft Podcast Number Three, the Gambling Podcast, where we are going to make numerous bets live on the air and talk <laughs> them through about why we're making those.
1: We're going to drain all of Adam's funds.
0: It's it's all going out, baby. And then two weeks from now, we will be back with six other podcasters to do the first round of Mega Mock, which is something I'm really looking forward to. I think it's going to be a lot of fun.
1: Who had the under on your child going to college? Uh,
0: (laughs) Everybody throw that in right now. (laughs) Throw it in right now. Uh, Anything that we win from next week's podcast will instantly be going into Maddie's College Fund, uh, which... Well, I'll be starting Mine. this week. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, Matt E, not Maddie. So, uh, but all right, my friend, I will see you soon. Everybody enjoy the last week of, um, you know, today was the last day of NBA playoffs or NBA regular season. So we have play in games this week. Uh, playoffs is probably going to start next weekend before we get back. So everybody enjoy that.
1: Yeah.
0: Baseball's going, hockey's winding down. It's, it's a good time for sports
1: in uh, the yep. NFL. And, uh, upon us uh, everyone. Go out and do your part and make fun of LeBron for missing the playoffs. Like by choice. <laughs> it must be done.
0: So, all right, my friend, I will see you soon. Yep. All right. Bye guys. Bye. Rowan. Bye mom. <laughs>